True Green is the easiest and most affordable way to get a beautiful lawn. All you have to do is water and mow and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, among others. They'll do all of that so you can do literally anything else. You have better things to do with your free time than focus on your lawn care. Let True Green take care of all the hard work it takes to get a great lawn while you take care of everything else on your to-do list. You can trust True Green to give you the best lawn because they are the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour. They offer a satisfaction guarantee and they have a verified best price promise, which gives you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. Think about how hard it is to manage our fantasy baseball teams. You need all the time you can get to put in waiver wire claims, fab bids, send out trades, and set your lineups. You'll have that extra time when True Green is taking care of your lawn. You do you, let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people, guaranteed. Live Nation presents Concert Week. From now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 summer shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Janet Jackson, Megan Trainer, Peso Pluma, Sean Paul, Sum 41, and many more for way less. Grab your tickets now through May 14th to see all of the artists you love all summer long for just $25 each. Visit LiveNation.com slash ConcertWeek to buy now. That's LiveNation.com slash ConcertWeek to buy now. Welcome in to Fantasy Baseball today on July 21st. I am Frank Sample, joined by Scott White and Chris the Welsh. Today on the show, we had some awesome, awesome pitching performances. What do we do with Byron Buxton? Week 18 sleepers, two-star pitchers, and much more. Before we get started, please like this video and subscribe on YouTube if you haven't already. And if you're listening on the audio side, download, follow, and leave a five-star rating on Apple or Spotify, we really do appreciate it. Welsh, meet Scott. Scott, meet Welsh. I feel like you guys <laughs> haven't been on together in a long time. <laughs> it's so funny. When uh, we got on the stream, Frank went away, and I was just sitting here alone, just looking at your blank screens, and then Scott came in, and it was just, it was very, it was like slow, magical, and he sat down, and I said, oh my God, Scott White, I haven't seen that face uh, in ages, and he had a big smile, like, who is this guy? It feels like it's been like months and months, but it's probably yeah. only been like three weeks or so, but I'm happy to see your face, dude. <laughs> Very joyous Scott White it's, face. It's, it's been a while, because like, we try to make it so I can skip one day a week on the podcast, just, you know, because I got a lot of other stuff to do too, and it happens to be the day that we have the Welsh on. But I don't know. You got bumped to Thursday this week. So yeah, I, here we I, are. My fault. my fault. But you know what? I, I might do this occasionally. I might really make Frank's life difficult occasionally being like, yeah, I can't make that show. So let's come over here because I do enjoy seeing it. Not that I don't enjoy Towers, but it is nice uh, doing some shows with you again. Well, we're an open book, man. Whenever you want to hop on, we can make it work Wednesday, Thursday, Monday. It, it doesn't matter to me. Let's let's just do it. Um, let's go. You know, every time someone says the words 
It's been a while. I automatically think of the song. It just happens yeah. every time. It's been a while. Scott said it somewhere in there, and my mind just instantly goes there. I'd like to actually pinpoint all of the phrases that do that. I think there are, I can't at this moment think of them, but you're right. When I hear it's been a while, I we all want to do it's been a while. There are definitely other phrases we have that induce songs. And I would love to hear from anybody that has any of those and we can present it's almost like a team name uh, the team name game. We could just do it for you know phrase songs. Please, 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 uh, please. I'll reveal one more for me. I don't know if this happens for either of you. Every time I hear the word necessary I think of dodgeball, and I'm just going to leave that there. Let's mm. jump in to Thursday's action. Oh, my good goodness gracious. Oh, my. Scott, you were up first. Oh, my goodness gracious. Player of the night. I'm going to go with Tyler Glass now, who had a great start against a great offense, struck out nine against the Orioles over seven innings. Nice to see him pitching that deep into games. Walk nobody. Nine strikeouts, no walks. That's great. Um he had, let's see, 16 whiffs in all, nine on the curveball, five on the slider. Both of those pitches, by the way, just have insane whiff rates, 45% and up on both, both of those breaking balls. Uh, Tyler Glass now, in his last five starts, a 245 ERA, 107 whip, 15.3K per nine. And his swinging strike rate overall is 18.3%. The only qualifier who has a swinging strike rate that high is exactly who you'd expect. It's Spencer Strider. Nobody else is as high as 16% even. And, and, and Tyler Glasnow's clocking in at 18.3% here. Uh, all of which is to say that I think we can say definitively Tyler Glasnow is back and pitching like an ace and during a time in baseball history, certainly during a, a particular season in which the, the pitching class seems to consist of a very large middle tier of guys who uh, are all susceptible to a blow up or two every now and then. And you can't really count on them to be a differentiator for your team. Tyler Glass now seems like one of the few pitchers who who um who very much is a differentiator who knows how long he'll stay healthy but for now you should let him differentiate you and just enjoy it and not think about selling high or anything like that any coincidence that uh it we find this definitive he's back as oppenheimer is releasing anybody any uh cillian murphy <laughs> tyler glass now oppenheimer's out we're all good yeah, I knew exactly the where same. you were going with that. You're, you're saying they look alike, right? Is that the they look yeah. identical? They're the same yeah. human being. Scott, I don't know if you're aware of uh, identical. Is it is it Cillian Murphy or Killian Murphy Welsh? Oh, I think it's. I thought it was Cillian Murphy. So if it's Killian, news to me. <laughs> so they, they they do look very similar. So there might be something to that. Scott, you're trying to talk because I feel like you're. <laughs> I know you were trying. To, I was like trying to decipher what you were saying. Where what was happening here? Were you, you not hear me? No, we no, couldn't hear. Your was mic was were you saying out. Killian? I was saying Killian. You couldn't hear me? No, your mic your mic sounds good now, though. I think oh, it just no. cut out for a second. I think it's Killian Murphy, but don't kill the messenger, is uh, what I said. Don't mm -hmm. kill Leon the messenger. Uh, mm -hmm. I, I think it's Killian as well, but it's all right, Welsh. We'll let you slide. For the reference, right. they, they do look very similar, so I, I think that's a, a fair point out there. After I saw this start, I moved Tyler Glass now up to SP21, and you could probably argue he's going to pitch like 
a low-end SP1, high-end SP2, as long as he's healthy. But because of that injury risk, that's why I think he's a little bit further down the rankings. But I, I noticed the same things as you, Scott. Just kind of going across the board. The strikeout rate looks fantastic. 50% ground ball rate. The FIP, 331. The XFIP, 262. Everything looks really, really good for Tyler Glass now. He just has to stay on the mound. That's the biggest thing for him. Well, so let's slide over to you. Oh, my goodness gracious. Another awesome pitcher from Thursday. Andrew Abbott. Man, eight innings, one hit, six strikeouts, couple walks, lowering that ERA down to two. And in this start, was just taking a look, obviously, at what are the things that he did. His sweeper was effective, 37% swing and miss rate, 24 on the fastball. He had seven uh, whiffs, by the way, on that sweeper, which he threw 30 of them. 29 on the changeup and 50 on the curveball, and he kind of lowered the curveball percentage. He a really heavy sweeper here because most of the year he's been fastball, actually curveball, and then sweeper. And one of the, I've had two things sitting in my mind. Uh, so Eno Saris and I were talking about Andrew Abbott. He's being a little anti-Andrew Abbott because the fastball, you know, in, in the stuff plus metric world kind of stinks. It's got a bad number. I think it's in like the 70s, he said. One of the things that stood out we were talking about was the, uh, the release point is very similar. Andrew Abbott does a really good job on release point between those two pitches which is starting to make me think that's making the the fastball more effective. And then I started thinking about just like comps. I've been trying to decipher because I think Andrew Abbott is kind of an anomaly because it isn't a magical fastball at the end of the day. It was in this game, he touched 94. He averages 92. That was actually down on the year average, which is almost 93. He throws a median a sweeper and a little bit more of a power-ish curveball in the lower 80s. And I was just kind of trying to figure out, is there a guy that I could put a comp on? Because I don't know if you guys have thought about, like, who does Andrew Abbott remind you of? And it just popped in my head statistically of somebody. And I came across Sonny Gray. And I don't know if you guys are going to be able to buy into it. But Sonny Gray, similar velo numbers. You've also got a curveball sweeper. That's kind of your big three primary pitch. Obviously, Sonny's got the sinker. They both throw changeups. But there were just some, just I don't know, eerie similarities between the two players that I wonder if Andrew Abbott could get to that place because Sonny Gray's fastball plays up a little bit. He's getting more whiffs on the secondaries that I think we could get there with Abbott. The bigger difference is Sonny Gray works a little bit higher in the zone on the fastball and Abbott's not getting the swing and misses necessarily on the sweeper um, that's sitting a little bit more in the zone and because he's covering the bottom of the zone with the changeup. And all of this is just me trying to figure him out. And I don't know if you guys have figured him out because the stuff doesn't match the numbers and that's new baseball worry more than old baseball because old baseball it's 92 miles an hour with good command you know we don't think much about it but a guy with a 92 mile an hour fastball and not crazy insane whiff secondaries is just kind of an anomaly to me so i i threw out sunny gray as maybe someone to kind of dream on abbott maybe being in the future i think in terms of the fastball and the two breaking pitches perhaps but you're right, Andrew Abbott is kind of an anomaly because he's such a fly ball heavy pitcher. 61% fly balls. That yeah. is mm-hmm. exactly the word. It is anomalous. It is something- and the worst ballpark for that to be. Exactly. And, and it's not like they are lightly hit fly balls, the kind that would work to a pitcher's benefit because they're just going to land in an outfielder's glove. His average exit velocity is 91 miles per hour. Uh, which is, you know, 11th percentile among starting pitchers. So it feels, and, and he does give up a lot of home runs. Like he, ha, he has given up a lot of home runs during the time he's been up. It's just that's 
like all he's given up. So uh, apart from one terrible start, it hasn't it hasn't hurt Andrew Abbott at all. Yeah, no, he's been, he's been very tough to figure out. I've used the Joe Ryan comp for him before, just because they both have that fastball that at first glance when it when it yeah. seems special. But you know, Abbott walks a lot more guys than Ryan does. So is is that is that giving Abbott too much credit? That's why I kind of went to Sonny Gray, because Sonny Gray, I believe, this year is at 9.7%, and it kind of lives up in that general range uh, every year, where Abbott's 86 And funny enough, we both landed on uh, Twins pitchers, by the way. <laughs> Early on, when he was getting no strikeouts, I thought it was easy. Oh, so high on Abbott. This can't last. But but then the strikeouts have, have come along, and uh, again, apart from that one disastrous start, he's, he's se- seemingly gotten better and better. So... Um, I mean, I would still, I would still be happy to trade him for the right offer. But if if I'm just being offered another one of that big glob of of mid tier pitchers for him, I'm I'm probably not going to do it. You know, if if I'm offered, I don't know, what what's what's a high end pitcher that you could reasonably? It's the name we bring up every podcast, Scott. It's Sandy Alcantara. Well, yeah, but like, (laughs) let's say somebody offers you Aaron Nola for Abbott and something else modest okay I, that's a clear enough pitching upgrade but if it's if it's abbott you know if somebody wants to do like an abbott for chris bassett exchange or you know just somebody else some well, another pitcher in that glob well, pablo like lopez a, mm, that's an interesting name well, i was gonna bring kind up of a tweener he's kind of a tweener yeah, well, i feel like pablo lopez should be a high-end pitcher and and is performing like part of the glob uh i i think i'd swap abbott for lopez yeah what about you darvish <laughs> yeah, an, another tweener, but I'd do it. All right, last point on Abbott, uh, and I'll let this stew in your minds, but I think a reasonable comp, based on last year too, is actually Nestor Cortez, because he had this kind of fastball that was working last year, lots of fly balls, cutter, slider, two secondaries there. I uh, just thought of it, but it seems like it kind of makes sense. Nestor Cortez last yeah. year to Andrew Abbott this year. Oh my goodness gracious, for me, I want to highlight Corbin Burns, new half, New Burns, back-to-back starts with double-digit strikeouts at the Phillies. Eight shutout innings, two hits, one walk, 10 strikeouts with 15 swinging strikes on 100 pitches um, and 15-plus swinging strikes in each of the past two starts. What has he done differently? He's throwing his curveball more in in both of these starts. Um, 18% usage on the season. It was 29% in his last start and 26% curveball usage in this start. And for what it's worth, his curveball has been his best pitch this year. 118 batting average against with a 44% whiff rate. All of a sudden, mid three ZRA, the whip is in the low ones, over a strikeout per inning. Scott, it kind of looks like uh, Corbin Burns is getting back to doing Corbin Burns things. Yeah, it does. And and he's had the velocity back up for a while now. So I I kind of saw it going this way i moved him back into my top five at starting pitcher after moving him toward the bottom of the top 10 earlier in the year uh and i think i i mean i i don't i don't know that you can trust corbin burns to be the corbin burns we've known the past couple years because i don't think any pitcher in this environment is that i don't think anyone's quite that reliable but yeah he's one of the top five pitchers in fantasy i'd say yeah and all along expected era has still liked Corbin Burns. It's a 3.57 XERA. Some of the other ERA estimators are a little bit higher, but you know that one has remained strong. Uh, so it looks like, finally, we're getting uh, ace Corbin Burns back 
and hopefully he can build off this consistency. While we're talking about awesome pitching performances, want to highlight George Kirby as well. He tied a career high with 10 strikeouts up against the Twins. Seven shutout innings, four hits. Of course, zero walks because... George Kirby, uh, career high, 20 swinging strikes on 99 pitches, 12 on the fastball, four on the slider, two on the sinker, one on curve, one on splitter. Velocity was up a decent amount. The slider was up nearly two miles per hour. The curve was up almost one mile per hour. I uh, didn't really notice anything different in the pitch mix, but you know, all of a sudden you look at Kirby too, it, it felt, like, felt like he had some blow up starts, but he still has a 323 ERA, a 104 whip, you know, not as many strikeouts as those aces, those top 20, 24 starting pitchers. Uh, but Welsh, George Kirby is uh, basically living up to everything, I th- at least what you thought he could be, because I know you were very excited about him coming into the season. Yeah, I mean, I love command pitchers, and I actually, I love, I think I'd be like loving him more and more. I love the idea, even though it's like so childish, that he gets like so mad about, you know, the the walks and uh, ending home runs. He just gets so mad and he punches. I'm actually looking at his uh, pitch 3D chart right now, and it's really fascinating on uh, Baseball Savant, too, because the coverage he has in the zone, his fastball just lived in the upper half. I mean, I'm looking here. I can easily tell you one, two, three, four, five, six fastballs thrown in this game were on the bottom half of the strike zone, the bottom half, everything else lived up on top. And then he was throwing his slider covering the entire bottom half. So think about that. Your whole top vision, you're just getting fastball punched at you all day long, never at the bottom. And then what's he doing? This slider's coming up in the zone and then just breaking down. It's an interesting pitch distribution. He is one of the smarter pitchers in baseball. And I would love to see more of this. I would love to see more of the aggressiveness because this is the Kirby that we need. We don't need the Kirby that just kind of like dinks around in the strike zone. Oh, cute. I got my ground ball, got my guy out. Aggressive, hit the zone, try to get that strikeout pitch with the slider. And because this is what he can do, this is, especially in this, this version of baseball right now, a solid, solid command pitcher can work these guys and start building on these bigger strikeout games. So I was a little bit of a sell a little bit early on in the season, just based off of how low the strikeout numbers were going. He didn't seem motivated to try to change that. And he wanted to just continue on his path. And now he's adjusting more and uh, I'm more back in love. We're falling back in love. We're renewing our vows. Uh, Just to put things in perspective, I don't want to diminish this start, obviously, but Come on. The Twins do strike out a lot. They have the highest strikeout rate against right-handed pitching at 27%, but it's not like every pitcher is uh, racking up 10 strikeouts against the Twins. So really impressive start for George Kirby, and if that velocity r- remains up, maybe we could see more strikeouts moving forward for him. We've talked about all of the pitchers so far. Uh, I do want to acknowledge two great hitters and just what they've done recently all season long. Matt Olson. Two for four with a double dong. Now up to 32 home runs. He trails only Shohei Otani for the league lead in homers. He's uh, batting 258, 80 RBI. That is uh, tied for the league lead for Matt Olson. And I pointed this out on Twitter. Um, he was dropped to fifth in the Braves lineup on June 15th. I don't know if it lit a fire under him. I, I like to create these scenarios in my mind. It might not have mattered all- at all. But uh, since that point, 27 games. Matt Olson is betting 330 with 14 home runs. So, yeah. He's amazing. And it's been a big 
topic of conversation on Braves broadcasts because uh, because yeah, like immediately when they moved him down to the lineup, he he went off like this. It may just be happenstance, but you never know. You never know on a psychological level what happens to a player when when there's a change like that. And I know at the start of last year, remember they they had him batting second as well. The Braves did and ultimately had to move him down because he just wasn't living up to expectations in the number two spot. I, I think in theory they like his on-base skills in the number two spot, but it may be that he like he ends up changing his approach when he's batting there and feels more like he can let a rip when he moves down in the lineup. I still think as hot as he's been lately, he's due to cool off and we shouldn't count on him being a 260 hitter or a 50 homer guy necessarily. Um, but but, you know, he's good, obviously, and <laughs> a top five first baseman. I, I, I want to just add real quick, like, you, you can easily look and see he's, like, top three percentile and, like, max EV and hard hit and expected slug and all that stuff. But also, this is an absurd. I don't know if – I would love to – I'd probably look in all these guys at who's doing this at a bigger degree. He has an average exit velocity on fastball. So think about how many fastballs he's seen this year, over a 1,000 of them, and average exit velocity – I'm rounding up to 97 miles per hour. Ooh. So think about what we see in average EVs on players in general, 97 miles an hour on fastball, which might be a little bit to what Scott's saying. Like that is hard to sustain. And, you know, pitchers are going to continuously try to adjust. And he has a much lower expected batting average versus breaking off speed pitches than what he's currently doing or the expected from last season. So you could see where an analytical team might try to adjust, but he's also done it for over a thousand fastballs this year. Average ninety-seven miles an hour. He is a he is quite the first baseman and egg on our face for thinking we should have you know waited and just taken Abreu or Vinny Pasquantino later in the drafts. <laughs> ah yes, Jose Abreu, that guy. I remember talking about him. Um, Matt Olson, I've moved him up. Maybe I'm just reacting too much to this hot stretch, but I moved him up to number two, first baseman in both formats, head-to-head mm. points uh, and roto based on what he's doing. Scott, you said he's going to slow down. That's likely. You know, I don't think he's going to keep this up all year. I hope you're wrong. Because before the season, I bet Matt Olson to lead the league in home runs. And man, that would be a nice chunk of change if I could pull that in. So Payday for you. I hope I'm wrong, too. (laughs) That's true. (laughs) I I was looking at stat when you brought up Matt Olson, by the way. I was like looking at stuff and then I stopped. You know, I wouldn't be able to see this because I wanted to come back to the camera because I wanted to see Scott's face and the smirk you had on. People might have watched, if you're watching on YouTube, you might have seen me start to like laugh because you just had, you had this magical smirk when he was being talked about. I could just see the happiness inside of you of like, <laughs> yeah, Graves, uh, Matt Olson, I, I, I wondered great. If, I wondered if it was going to come up because our, our two teams played it, just finished, just wrapped up a very contentious series that uh, had a couple heartbreak, that had a heartbreaking loss for each. In the three Heart days. Heartbreaking loss. And a weird moment. The Kevin Ginkle moment I keep thinking about. I don't know if I... I didn't research the inter, any interview of why he did that to Acuna. I don't know if we ever found that out. But yeah, that was an incredible series. And an incredible... I thought, by the way, this morning, I thought tonight was going to be incredible because we were going to have like a perfect game thrown with the other pitcher striking out 20. Like that's what I thought we were in for with how that game went <laughs> today. Out, yeah, away. Yeah, I know. With five innings in, it looked like that was going to happen. I thought strider. we were going to have this magical day. Well, it, and and the Strider start was today was frustrating because he ended up giving up four runs in six innings, had 13 strikeouts, was working into the seventh with a shutout, 
all four runs came in the seventh before he recorded an out. And it was for those first six innings, it was the best strider I've ever seen. Like they could not touch him. And the Diamondbacks don't strike out like they're not a heavy, aggressive strikeout team. So what he was doing was absurd. And on the other end of that, Scott, that was the best Zach, Zach Gallen, you've seen all year, five perfect innings. He was perfect yeah. while Strider was looking like the best pitcher in baseball as well. He ended up having 26 swinging strikes to Strider. It was just a situation in the, in the, in the seventh inning. He, he walks a guy on a 3-2 count. Could have, you know, that, that at bat seemed like it could have gone either way. Then he's ahead on Christian Walker, ends up plunking him. And then it's a three-run homer to the rookie Dominique Canzone. Canzone, and, baby. Uh, <laughs> And then he, and then they keep him in the game, and he gives up another home. So like they they couldn't touch him until they could, and he ended up, you know, elevating his ERA even more. It's it's again closing in on four now, and um, I think it's like three seven five. Four is kind of rounding up a little too much, but it, like there's, it, it kind of speaks to the whole pitching environment where even like Spencer Strider's the most talented pitcher in baseball. I think everybody would agree at this point. Maybe Degrom, if he was healthy, would be in the discussion, but he's very unhealthy right now. <laughs> So, um, and yet he's struggling to keep his ERA low. He seems to have these like innings where it all falls apart on him. And, um, you know, as, as the innings accumulate is his career high is only like one thirty. Is he going to be, is he, is that going to make it even harder for him to, um, be as consistent as we'd like him to be? I, I don't know. I, I only own Spencer Strider in one league or two leagues actually, but they're both like dynasty leagues. So I, I your your approach to him is obviously very different in that format. But I would be pretty frustrated if if it's it's. I, I know I just have him through the end of this year, and uh, and these starts keep happening. Well, you know what? You could draft him again next year if you play redraft, but it's probably going to cost you a first round pick with Spencer Strider. Uh, last name I wanted to acknowledge, I, I mentioned there were two great hitters here. Christian Yelich, three for four with his 14th home run. He's batting 287. He also has 21 steals and 856 OPS. He entered Thursday as the ninth overall player in Roto, not ninth outfielder. Ninth wow. overall player, 11th best hitter in head-to-head points. Fantastic bounce back season for Christian Yelich. Let's take our first break. And when we return, Ellie De La Cruz kind of struggling right now. Byron Buxton also struggling. What do we do? We'll talk about it right after this. The all new Hyundai 2024 Santa Fe is equipped with everything you need to break free from the dull work week and embark on an adventurous weekend with your family. The all-new Hyundai Santa Fe's features like available H-Track all-wheel drive, standard third-row seating, available dual wireless charging pads. Nothing beats a weekend away with the family in the great outdoors, whether it's camping, hiking, river rafting, or anything in between. With third-row seating, nobody is left out. The entire family can experience the thrill together, and nobody wants a dead phone. Available dual wireless charging pads make it so nobody gets stuck, and we can check our fantasy baseball teams together. Learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe at HyundaiUSA.com. Call 562-314-4603 for complete details. Worn by players like Michael Harris to meet the demand of elite ball players, the New Balance Fuel Cell 4040 V7 is a versatile option. The 4040 V7 is built for the athlete who needs responsiveness and ability to cut and run at their full speed. 
The model features a fuel cell foam underfoot and a synthetic and mesh upper to provide breathability, comfort, and a snug fit as you round the bases. The fuel cell midsole features nitrogen-infused foam specifically designed to propel athletes forward. Learn more about the 4040 at newbalance.com. Welcome back, and we want to offer a warm welcome to the newest podcast in the CBS Sports family and another fantasy football show. That's right, Fantasy Football Today Dynasty launched this week with the insight you need to know to dominate your Dynasty League. Join host Heath Cummings and other familiar faces and voices from the FFT crew each week as they bring you Dynasty mock drafts, deep sleepers, risers and fallers, and much more. Download and follow Fantasy Football Today Dynasty wherever you find this podcast. And if you're listening, uh, if you're watching us rather on YouTube, we've got that QR code up on the screen. You can scan that. That will take you right to the Fantasy Football Today Dynasty podcast feed. Speaking of Dynasty... A very young, exciting player we've talked about all season long. Ellie De La Cruz. He's kind of going through it right now, which I think is reasonable. Obviously, he's a rookie. He strikes out a lot. He hits a lot of ground balls. Let's talk about it. He went one for four with a walk and a strikeout. Seven games post-All-Star break. It's a very small sample size. He's two for 28. with a That is a .071 batting average with 12 strikeouts. That is a 40% strikeout rate. Still hitting the ball really hard. Welsh, I had people tweeting. They're sending in emails. What's going on with Ellie De La Cruz? I think the answer is he's a rookie, and this is probably going to happen. Yeah, I mean, I feel like I've been pretty transparent about this the whole time with all my worries. I know you guys have been the same. I think a lot of people are. One of the bigger problems has been the, the amount of people that didn't want to hear it. Like, this can happen. When you hear, oh, hey, by the way, this guy who has a 30% strikeout rate, a really worrisome low barrel rate is a 4% barrel rate. That's not something we want to see. We want to see a little bit of a higher barrel rate out of these elite players with bad strikeout numbers and a very worrisome ground ball rate. Like, yes, he has all the talent in the world, but those are pieces that are going to bring him down at some point. And that's what you're seeing. Like, it's a it's a horrid uh, start to the back half of the All-Star break. But th- I think this was always the worry. I just did a um, a draft similar to, you know, we did that second half, like two round mock you did with me and Bogman. We, I, we, I did a format of a league this year where we actually split. So we did our player pool and we paid and the first half was Roto. So we ended at the all-star break in the first half of the league, which I won and I got paid. Then the person who won got the first pick we did right before the, the season started and we were doing head to heads into the playoffs. So it's a two-split format. So also it kind of kept people in it so you didn't hate everything and stop playing. Well, I'm leading into all of this. Ellie Day Cruz went six in that league. Yeah. He Ooh. went six overall. I would I would not have... Corbin Carroll went three. I wouldn't have probably done that. Ellie went six. The hype is there because every day you also see, you're like, oh, he threw 99.5. This is awesome. It's like, okay, that doesn't help our fantasy leagues. He also has bad strikeout rates and all these things. So, yes, he's a rookie. He's bound to some of these problems. I don't know why anybody's surprised about it. I think people are panicking because of how bad it is. But he has... Where he has these, like, underlying things that can bring him down... He also has the things that will bring him right back up. One of the fastest players in baseball. He has 17 stolen bases. I believe he is number one in stolen bases in the last 30 days. There is no other player with his amount of games played with 15, 10 or more stolen bases. He is, the last month, the most elite base stealer in like 38 games or whatever it is. The power hasn't quite been there. And his expected batting average actually is kind of sustainable to where he is. He's hitting 279. 
is it, it's a 257 XBA. The problem is, is your expectations to who he is. Rookies are volatile. He'll get right. And then everyone can celebrate Scott. Yeah, no, I was going to point out the stolen, like the main thing he's done for fantasy purposes this so far is steal a lot of bases. Like that, that's been the main thing driving his, uh, his, his value to such heights. It's, it's just been such an insanely good stolen base rate. So I think the way I, and I just came up with this now. I think the way I want to think of Ellie De La Cruz rest of season is Jordan Walker's bat with Ronald Acuna's speed, which is still a very high-end player, but is it a first-round player? Probably not. And, and, and in our redraft of the first two rounds, we were careful not to take him in, in round one either. He certainly has that kind of upside, does Ellie De La Cruz, but it's a big leap to say he's already ready to make good on it. So I looked up since Ellie De La Cruz was called up on June 6th. He has the 17 steals. There is one player who has more. Ronald Acuna has 18 steals during that, that time. Just changed. I looked at that stat a couple days ago. So, yeah, I think <laughs> over the Diamondbacks game, that did change. Yeah. So uh, elite speed there for Ellie De La Cruz. And look, we don't want to come on here and, you know, poo poo one of the young, fun players in the game. But, you know, we have to be objective. We have to tell you what the stats are saying right now. And. This is what's going on with Ellie De La Cruz. Obviously, you know, we're not benching him. Just ride the ups and downs. I, I think we're going to get a lot of ups still here in the second half with him. And, you know, let me just add, remember when he first came up and I was on with you guys. And I think it was, I think it was actually the three of us. And I said, he's like shortstop. And what did I say? Seven or eight for the rest of the year. And then like two weeks later, that sounded silly. But what ends up happening is everyone's expectation came to not just shortstop, seven or eight or five he's a first round player everyone's talking about him as a first round player well guess what's going to happen he's going to level back down i don't know what he is right now he's probably going to end exactly what we talked six seven you know, that'll be the short stuff it's just it's more volatile head-to-head leagues that's going to feel a little bit worse points leagues this is really bad right now for a lot of people but like he will even out and still be valuable it's just i think all of our expectations grew way bigger than his stats well even and I know we keep extending this conversation yeah, longer and longer, but even in points leagues, at, because he's stealing at such a great rate, and, and at least in CBS leagues, steals are worth two points apiece. Uh, it's gone down uh, quite a bit, but he's still 3.53 points per game overall, which is you know better than Wander Franco, who, you know, points leagues would be his best format, better than Francisco Lindor, Bobby Witt, uh, worse than Fernando Tatis and Corey Seager, but you know, basically in in that range of shortstops, still performed like an, an elite shortstop to this point. Would you rather have Franco or Ellie rest a year, rest of the season? I, I would rather rather have Wander Franco, regardless okay. of the format. Same. Here. Um, and Frank, I thought we saw tr- someone uh, tweet us about a trade, and I think they got Franco, and I think we were like, "Yeah, that's great. I think he did a good job." Yeah, sounds good to me. We we did a two round mock draft for. Heading into the second half, uh, we did 24 picks worth, and we didn't have Ellie De La Cruz in it, and we did have Wander Franco in it. And, you know, people probably lost their minds we didn't have Ellie in the first two rounds. But, you know, it's just it's too small of a sample size at that point. It was only 30 games. Personally, I think we just need to see more. What do we do with Byron Buxton? We've been getting some questions about him as well. He went 0 for 4 with two more strikeouts here on Thursday. He is now batting 193. 15 homers, 8 steals. Okay, that's nice. Helps in category leagues. 685 OPS. However, we were just talking about points leagues. He is averaging 2.5 fantasy points per game. That was That is tied for 62nd among outfielders. You know how long it took me to 
count 62nd, uh, 62 outfielders to see where Byron Buxton was on the list? I'll, I'll tell you my trick for that after the show. <laughs> Please do. Uh, Scott, what do we do with uh, Byron Buxton? Do you dare consider dropping him in shallower leagues? I never get to talk about Byron Buxton because it's always... That's Chris Towers, guys. If I just sit back and listen. Chris isn't here, so now we can bash Byron Buxton. <laughs> uh, what was the question you asked me? Drop him in shallow leagues? I, I, get rid yeah, of him. I, I think he's pretty expendable in three outfielder leagues, certainly in points leagues. Um, that's not to say he couldn't get crazy hot and we're picking him back up again. But you could say that about so many players I, I just don't think you're going to want to ride the week to week with Buxton and apart from what year was it 2021 or was it longer ago than that where he looked like an MVP candidate he, he's been more like what we've seen this year than not <laughs> throughout yeah. his career and that one season is just looking like a pretty much an aberration at this point I feel like Byron Buxton is the ghost of Christmas past for Ellie De La Cruz. Like this is Byron Buxton is like the worst case of where like everything that went wrong is there. Cause you're seeing Buxton like 30 plus percent K percentage, huge hard hit numbers, but Buxton doesn't steal. He doesn't hit. And that's like the worst living case of if Ellie were to stop running and you see the K percentages and stuff like that, because the sky was a limit with Buxton. Buxton was one of the most exciting players for years. I've always been a huge proponent of him. He could be the number one player in a given month when he starts popping off homers, the stolen bases went down, the consistency as far as how much he could hit or how consistently he could hit has gone down. Though he still hits the ball hard, it's just not there. It's the lowest uh, barrel percentage over the last uh, three years and everything is getting worse and worse and it is the third war. It's actually amazing I'm looking at this. Byron Buxton has had a 30% plus K percentage in four seasons he's played in the majors, which is crazy how much we built him up, including the first two and the last two. That's not good. He's a so I, want, I wanted to confirm where I have him ranked. 49th among outfielders rest of season, which is, I, I would say that's fringy in three outfielder leagues. Yep. And look, and obviously for anyone playing in five outfielder leagues, you're holding on to Buxton. He plays when he's healthy, obviously, and he still contributes some power and speed. But yeah, I think in those shallower three outfielder points leagues i i think you probably can move on from byron buxton frank Chris, how many months Chris, this year has he hit under 200 of the five registered months uh four three three of the five months he has hit under 200 yeah i'm done chris towers has byron buxton 19th by the way <laughs> no he doesn't i i probably have him i want to say somewhere in between there do you have it yeah. open scott you have him 34th. So 19th, 34th, 49th. That's the range. There you go. Buxton ranking. That <laughs> sounds like the Byron Buxton experience completely. Do <laughs> either of these pitch mix changes, let's slide back over to pitching. Uh, two names that could be out there in some shallower leagues. Kyle Gibson racked up the whiffs at Tampa Bay. Six innings, three runs, eight strikeouts, 19 swinging strikes in this one. And I notice he made his sweeper the most used pitch in this start, 22% usage, and it's been a really good pitch for Kyle Gibson this year. He also uh, more than doubled his curveball usage in this start. It's also been a very good whiff pitch for Kyle Gibson. He's 74% rostered, and JP France had a strong start at the Oakland A's. Seven innings of one-run ball with five strikeouts, and he went heavy changeup. It was his most used pitch, 35% usage entering the start, he only used it 14% of the time. And it's also a really good pitch for JP France. Scott, do either of these pitch mix 
changes matter? JP France and Kyle Gibson. Well, I, you know, I, I don't know if you remember the conversation, but with, with France a few weeks ago, I was saying I wish he'd throw his changeup and or slider more because they both have good whiff rates. And he was succeeding in spite of it. He wasn't getting many strikeouts at all. So I, I think he was just happy to stick with the approach that, that got him there. But JP France suddenly has a bad start last time out. And then this time out, he's, he's throwing that changeup more than twice as much as usual and uh, turns in a pretty good stat line, turns in. Uh, let's see how many strikeouts did JP France end up five and seven innings at Oakland. Okay. So that's not great, but 12 whiffs on 93 pitches is definitely a step in the right direction for JP France. He's trying to join the ranks of the glob. I would say <laughs> like I was skeptical. He could ever even be that good. And I'm a little more open to the idea. I don't think he has high end potential or anything like that, but, uh, if you want him on your roster as somebody to stream with the right matchups whenever he has a two-start week, I, I would say J.P. France, particularly if he sticks with this change, has earned it to this point. I'm a little more skeptical of Kyle Gibson just because he's in his mid-30s now, and we've, we've, gone through, we've gone down this road a few times with him before. I know he hasn't thrown a sweeper forever, but he's had years where his slider got good whiff totals, and he'd occasionally pop off with a start like this, and... And still end up being typical Kyle Gibson with the ERA at or over four. And um, doesn't mean he can't be a useful streamer given that he pitches for a good team. And, and when he does go well, he works deep into starts. But I, I, don't, I don't see him turning over a new leaf at this stage of his career. No pitch mix changes with these two. But, well, you let me know if uh, anything here with these pitchers. Michael Lorenzen extended his scoreless streak to 21 and two-thirds innings. He was at the Royals' seven shutout with three strikeouts. It's the Royals, but it's also a really good start. Jose Quintana made his Mets debut. Five innings, two runs, three strikeouts there. Welsh, do either of these guys matter? Michael Lorenzen and Jose Quintana. You know, I'm going to be a little dismissive, and sometimes when I am, it's the for the wrong reasons, I suppose, of Jose Quintana. I don't have a lot of excitement. I actually am kind of into Michael Lorenzen. And let me give you the first basis for it. I think this could be a trade option of a player that could go to a team where he can have a lot more offensive support and be in a better environment. So I think that in general, more wins, more run support, uh, better defense around him, maybe even better coaching uh, to pitch up, which you obviously seen from him now. That is one positive because that team, like, I don't know if Eduardo Rodriguez is going to pitch another game. And I don't know if Michael Lorenzen is going to pitch another game, uh, probably one. But if you move on, that's great. The fastball has been better last year. Fastball had a batting average against of 247 with a very similar expected batting average of 241 this year. 176 against with an expected batting average still under 200 as well. You're just seeing the whiffs go up. Slider and changeup have been relatively effective. So I don't know. I mean, he doesn't put up incredibly exciting numbers, but I do think this is somebody that fits in the stream. And I think if he's moved to a team, Astros, you know, I don't know, someone yeah. that's trying to win. Not the Diamondbacks probably, but, you know, an Astros, a Braves team, something like that. I could get a little bit more excited about him and he might be a really cheap, viable option that could go from streaming to maybe tiny bit more trustable <laughs> yeah I, I mean that's the most optimistic take i think anyone's given for lorenzen on this podcast ever. all year but it, but it is <laughs> i am curious why he's getting these results because okay three start stretch here 
no earned runs, only eight hits in 18 and two-thirds innings. That's the number that sticks out to me more, not just, oh, he's managed to avoid giving up runs during a stretch, but eight hits in 18 and, and, a, and, and a third innings uh, is obviously an insanely low hit rate. And he had a stretch like that earlier this year where it was like, this guy's not giving up any hits. What's going on? In between, he looked more like the Michael Lorenzen we've always known, and so it was easy to write him off. The ERA climbed over four, all of that. I will point out that over these last three starts, his opponents were Oakland, Seattle in Seattle, and Kansas City in Kansas City. So it it may just be that he's making bank against bad offenses. Uh, I'm not willing to say Lorenzen's any more than a streamer yet, but I do have him as a streaming option for this upcoming week because he's in line for two starts. Assuming... He sticks with the Tigers, I guess, for the There's entire no, week. That's a good right, point. Yeah. Um, so that, those matchups would be the Angels and at the Marlins next week for Michael Lorenzen. And there was a report from John Morosi of MLB Network that said the Astros and Rays are among teams looking into Michael Lorenzen. <laughs> I right mean, now. get out of here. <laughs> I mean, both of, like, get, give me him on both of those teams, please. Let's quickly get into some news and notes before we uh, wrap up with our Week 18 preview. Jordan Alvarez is expected to play Friday and Saturday at AAA before returning to the Astros on Monday. Good news. Love to see it. Cedric Mullins said Thursday that he's not sure how long he'll be sidelined with this current right adductor strain. We had a classic baseball injury alert. Jared Kelnick was placed in the IL with a fractured left foot. How did he do it? He kicked a water cooler following a strikeout and then he gave a uh, very passionate interview inside of the dugout where he was apologizing profu- profusely but i mean it's you know it's your fault jared kelnick is <laughs> kind of a bonehead thing to do um mariners prospect cade Marlowe was recalled from triple a where he was batting 255 with 11 homers and 25 steals he has put up some monster numbers um in the past welsh is there anything here with cade Marlowe? yeah i'd like to see some regular playing time for him he's got some Big old raw power that I'd love to see go, but it really seems like he's taking a big step back on pitch recognition. And maybe that, uh, you know, if you want to start piecing things together, we have a lot more sweeper sliders this year. I think that is something that he is dealing with and it hasn't been a huge positive turn. So Marlo might be one of those guys that has an early on success rate that then tapers back when you get a lot of uh, secondary pitches on him. Side note to it, and it's a homerish thing, but like I prefer Dominic Canzone to him. I think Dominic Canzone is just getting started. We talked about him earlier. Monster numbers in the minors doesn't, even though he's striking out a little bit now, he's a much patient, hit, much more patient hitter. I would bet on Canzone over Marlowe, but both of these guys aren't anything you should be running at the wire for. Stalling Marte was placed on the aisle with migraines retroactive to July 17th. Tyler O'Neill was activated Thursday, batting seventh in the Cardinals lineup and playing left field. Tommy Edmond is scheduled to begin taking live at bats early next week. He's been out since July 7th with a wrist injury. Andrew Vaughn has missed the last two games after fouling a ball off his left foot Tuesday. X-rays came back negative. Tommy Pham exited Thursday with that recurring right groin discomfort. He said he's optimistic he won't require a trip to the IL. Bobby Miller has been cleared to start Saturday against the Rangers. He had dealt with right knee discomfort in his start last weekend. Mason Miller will throw a 20-pitch bullpen session Saturday. He's been out since May 11th with a mild UCL sprain in his right elbow. 
Francisco Mejia exited Thursday with left knee discomfort. Josh Donaldson was transferred to the 60-day IL, which means he'll miss the rest of the season. Good riddance. Let's take our final break, and when we return, we'll get into our Week 18 preview here on Fantasy Baseball Today. If you've ever been in the market for a new home, you know home shopping can be a lot. There's so much you don't know and so much you need to know. What are the neighborhoods like? What are the schools like? Who is the agent who knows the listing or neighborhood best? And why can't all this information just be in one place? Well, now it is on homes.com. As somebody who's been through this, I can tell you these features are so, so incredibly valuable. They've got comprehensive neighborhood guides and detailed reports about local schools, and their agent directory helps you see the agent's current listings and sales history. The area you live in is just as important as the house itself. You can get to know a neighborhood without ever setting foot in it. Say you're a really active person. You could find out about the nearest parks. Do they have a baseball field? Maybe you want to join a softball league like Chris and I play in. Also, Homes.com collaboration tools makes it easier than ever to share all this information with your family. It's a whole cul-de-sac of home shopping information all at your fingertips. Homes.com. We've done your homework. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome back, and let's get into our Week 18 preview. We'll start things off with the schedule for next week. Six teams have five games. The Rays, Cubs, Braves, Marlins, Yankees, and the A's. 20 teams have six games and four teams have seven games. The Nationals, Cardinals, Tigers, and Guardians. Starters sit these two-star pitchers, and to be perfectly honest, there's not many names to ask about because it's there's a top tier that's very obvious. You're starting those names in two-star. Uh, in you know, If they're two-star pitchers, you're starting them. Uh, then Scott has a bunch of streamers. And then there's just everybody on the bottom. So I'll ask you about some <laughs> yeah, of the like names. Half the list is in the no thanks tier, almost. Yeah, so uh, I think I know wh- where these answers are going to go. Scott, Christopher Sanchez versus the Orioles and at the Pirates. What do you think? He's high in the no thanks tier, but I, I'm, <laughs> I'd, I'd have to be pretty desperate to use him still. All right, Steven Matz has pitched solid in two of his last three starts. Welsh, he is at your Diamondbacks and home against the Cubs. No chance. No I would chance. Rather, I would rather go Christopher Sanchez than Matt's. No chance. I agree with that as well. Graham Ashcraft has pitched better recently, but he's at the Brewers and at the Dodgers. Scott? Nope, don't trust it. And I'm not even going to ask about Ross Stripling. Two-star pitchers to add and stream. Scott, we have two, four, six, eight. Eight names. It's pretty good. Yeah, it is. I, the, the easy one, the obvious one. So obvious, in fact, I almost left him out of my... Uh, sleeper pitchers for this week. It's Kinta Maeda. Love it. Who is going against the Mariners and at Kansas City, two great matchups after coming off a great start. And, and really, two of his last three starts have been awesome. And I found this great stat yesterday writing the waiver wire column for Kinta Maeda. So you look at his season long numbers, his ERA is over five. 
and that, that would kind of scare you away. But he did have a start where he gave up 10 earned runs, and that start was right before he went on the IL with the strained triceps. You got to think it was impact, impacting him in that start. If you remove that 10-run start for Kenta Maeda, he has a 320 ERA, a 107 whip, 11K per nine. Numbers that are very similar to the ones that made him the Cy Young runner-up in the short 2020 season. And remember the following season, he ended up needing Tommy John surgery. He's talked about how he didn't feel like he could let the ball go leading up to that Tommy John surgery. So it made sense why he struggled that year. So so Kenta Maeda might be on the verge of being a high-end pitcher again. And then he has these two great matchups. So it's a good time to test the theory. He's still available in a third of CBS Sports Leagues. Uh, okay, we also have Aaron Savale. He's going against the Royals and the White Sox. Two good matchups, and he's been pitching well. Dean Kramer, boomer bust, but you got to love the supporting cast. The fact he has 10 wins on the year. He's at the Phillies and then against the Yankees, who stink without Aaron Judge. Logan Allen, Royals and White Sox, his two matchups, same as Savale. They're teammates. Imagine that. Kyle Hendricks. White Sox and Cardinals. He's coming off a good start. It's a bit further down the list. I, I think I'd leave him for points leagues almost certainly. But, um, you know, he's looked pretty good for the most part. Michael Lorenzen, who we just talked about, first matchup is tough against the Angels, but then he's at Miami, which is favorable. He's been making good on those matchups recently. And then Griffin Canning, he may not be a two-start pitcher because so many teams have so many off days this week it's it's possible the angels just go five man this time through because they'll still be able to give otani appropriate rest this kind of presumes they do that griffin canning is a two-star pitcher that they skip chase selseth Silseth, as good as he looked in his last start in, in which case canning would start at detroit at toronto but even if they cut him down to just one start it's at detroit so griffin canning's a, a deserving streamer either way and the three single-star streamers on this list, Gavin Williams versus the Royals, Grayson Rodriguez versus the lowly Yankees, assuming Aaron Judge is not back. You know, some rumors out there he could be back next week. And Seth Lugo versus the Pirates. Welsh, how would you rank that group? Gavin Williams versus KC, Grayson versus the Yankees, and Seth Lugo versus the Pirates. I think I would rank it how you have it. I love, I mean, I love going up against the uh, Royals anytime. So I'm going to just kind of, you know, jump onto any matchup there. And, uh, and Gavin Williams' strikeout numbers haven't been there. The walks have been a little bit up, but I'm still a big believer. Why I say I'm not like definitive is like Grayson, outside of like getting into that, what was it, fifth or sixth, looks really good. Looked really good in that, you know, that first start back. I mean, the fastball hitting 101, scrapping the cutter, I think was a great move. The Yankees offense has been really struggling. It's just, he can fall apart like that. And we've, we're seeing it happen. That is the most consistent thing about him, even though the pitch mix has changed. So if you want a little bit more upside, maybe it's Grayson, but I'll go with Gavin Williams in the great matchup, Grayson Rodriguez, and then Seth Lugo at the bottom. Man, if they have like snapping Olympics or snap competitions, Welsh, we got to sign you up because that was. Oh, and I, can I do like a ADR for like snapping? Is that a good one? <laughs> no. So let's go. Hold on. 
That's pretty good. <laughs> yeah, that's, what, you're using like your pinky and your thumb, right? Or your ring finger and your thumb? Uh, no, it's my um, the the finger. I'm not going to solely show you. And uh, is that? Am I <laughs> okay. doing it weird? I, uh, it's uh, it looked weird here. the way you did it. Just no, no. I think I think no, that's normal. I think middle finger is normal. Yeah, yeah. yeah I, I would say so. Uh, let's move over to the hitters. The best hitter matchups for Week 18: the Rockies, Guardians, Cardinals, Cubs, and the A's. The worst hitter matchups: Marlins, Red Sox. Pirates, Royals, and the Rays. By the way, I didn't mention the Rockies earlier. They have six games next week, three at Washington, three at home against Oakland. So if you're just wondering about who's playing in Coors Field next week, the Oakland A's will be there visiting the Rockies. Scott, you are up once again. Your favorite sleeper hitters for next week. I I do want to point out also, because so so many teams have so many off days, you'll notice uh, the Athletics are fifth for best hitter matchups. That's even though they're playing five games. I don't know that I've ever had a five-game team in the best hitter matches before, but three of them are at Colorado. Anywho, nobody worth starting from the athletics because Brent – I thought about Brent Rooker, but lately he's been sitting against righties, and that's not going to work. Uh, okay, from the Rockies, C.J. Crone. He's my favorite sleeper hitter this week, and he has looked like C.J. Crone again since coming off the I.L. I'm kind of surprised he's as available as he is, considering he was basically must-start each of the last two years. Scott, I just have to say, I love that Crone is on this list, because if you remember last year, he was on sleeper hitters every single week. Mm-hmm. I love it. Was he? Yeah. I thought he was too high-end, but you sure it wasn't two years ago? It might ago? have been two years ago, but there was one yeah. of these years, they all just kind of blend together at this point, yeah. but well, he's he, was, back, baby. he was on the list every week. I love it. CJ Crone. Gotta go with the twins tandem of Edward Julian and Alex Kirilov, because as I as as I look at it right now, only one lefty on the schedule for the twins. Uh, that That affects Julian especially. Also, three-game series against the Royals pitching staff in Kansas City, but still, Royals have no good pitchers. Uh, <laughs> Seiya Suzuki has been hitting pretty well lately. I pointed out last week that he has particularly good numbers against left-handers, and the Cubs have three on the schedule again this week. Spencer Torkelson's been hot, and the Tigers are one of the few teams with seven games this week. Mickey Moniak, the Angels have no left-handers on the schedule. Their matchups could be better, but they could be worse, too. And so the fact he's going to start all six of their games with the kinds of numbers Moniac has, I think, makes him a good play. C.J. Abrams with the Nationals having seven games. Uh, okay. Also, Lars Newbar with the Cardinals having good matchups. Josh Bell with the Guardians having good matchups. And, and here's an interesting one for you. Wilmer Flores, who homered again on Thursday. That gives him four home runs in four games. And two of those games, he started against righties even. So, like, the Giants are rolling with him. He's hot. They have uh, pretty good matchups this week against the Tigers. Oh, no, one game against the Tigers, two games against the Athletics, which is even better than the Tigers, and then three games against the Red Sox. So, if you need a versatile player to round out your, li- round out your lineup this week, Wilmer Flores, not a bad choice. And I love that you called out Wilmer Flores because I had him in the notes. I was going to bring him up as a potential sleeper hitter for next week for the reasons you mentioned 16 games since coming off the IL 389 batting average with five home runs for Wilmer Flores and if this is correct if the website is correct six games next week four against lefties and Wilmer Flores crushes left-handed pitching so I I love that call out for Wilmer Flores one name I also wanted to mention Will Benson he went two for three with a walk run RBI and his ninth steal on Thursday. Um, He's been great since being recalled back in May. Um, And 
again, if the matchups are correct on the site, six games next week, it looks like they're all against righties. 21% rostered. They are all against righties. There there are some tough pitchers in there. It's not the worst schedule. I mean, you didn't mention the Reds among the five worst hitter matchups, but it's a little iffy. Still, with all the righties on the schedule, you know, you could make a case for Benson. And and I, I was tempted to put Jake Fraley on this list again with all those righties, but like, I, I, I just feel like it'd be Fraley burnout at this point because I don't know how many weeks in a row I've had him on here. Um, but certainly you could justify starting him too. Jake Fraley, the new CJ Crone, baby. Let's get him on the list every <laughs> single week until, you know, he's rostered in enough leagues. Uh, before yeah. we wrap up, I've got some bullpen updates and streamers for the weekend. Welsh, I did want to ask you about, I know you've got some uh, prospect updates that, I, uh, that you mentioned to me. There's a starting pitcher in the Diamondbacks organization that you think could make an impact down the stretch and names that you think could be up after the trade deadline. Who you got? Yes. So someone I was talking about earlier in the week, we'll see what happens. Diamondbacks only have, I think, three starting pitchers on their roster. I actually went out to the Diamondbacks complex today, 118 degrees, because Merrill Kelly was supposed to pitch. And he didn't. Why didn't he pitch? I'm going to try to go again tomorrow and see if he's there. They need pitchers. One of the reasons I've been picking around, because Brandon Fott is still the same Brandon Fott. But... Bryce Jarvis has been very interesting with the team. Two straight starts with six or more strikeouts. And one of the big things that's changed with him is the pitch mix. He has been going a heavy slider. He has a 40% swing and miss on the slider in four straight starts. Plus, one of them has a 70%. And that has become his primary pitch over the last two starts. And I don't believe he's given up a run in his last two. He's averaging 96 on the fastball. He's hitting 96 on the fastball, averaging close to 96. The slider has gained over 100 uh, RPM spin overall on the pitch. And it's become a lot more dominant. And he's been, this is PCL numbers, there's some worry that he might be a quintessential relief player. He's not a two-pitch pitcher, but he's commanding better. He's a very high-end analytical pitcher, and I think he's just going to get an opportunity soon. So we'll see. Diamondbacks, blah, blah, blah. But Bryce Jarvis has been very interesting with that pitch mix change of going heavy slider, and we have seen lots of guys have that success this year. Bryce Elder, until recently, and so forth. We know the slider has been a big dominant pitch, and he has made that change, and he is very, very hyper-aware of where he's at. And the only other thing that you were mentioning... Start keeping on your mind about these prospects that could benefit from players being traded away. Matt Mervis would be one of those. The rumors with Cody Bellinger, I think Matt Mervis might be one of those players that is going to get some time. If the Cubs trade Marcus Stroman, Ben Brown is another player we might be able to see soon. Ronnie Mauricio would be another one of those if the Mets were to decide to maybe move Tommy Pham. They've been looking for some outfield. Mauricio has even played around in the outfield. So there are quite a few uh, rookies and prospects that are going to get some playing time here in the very, very near future while other players are being traded. There's going to be a benefit across the board and speaking of trades i just want to put this out there i think tyler o'neill is getting traded to the mariners uh to the yeah to the mariners i think that is 100 happening in my mind uh i'm just going to put it out back there I think that started yeah revenge he's trade back. he uh, i saw him he actually when they were uh doing the wbc him and freddie freeman were over at the uh, mariners camp doing bp i was there and he came out and just just flooded everybody. He talked about how much he missed this place. He loved the place. He was talking to security. He was walk, talking to fans that were there to see Mariner fans. He loves it there. I think it's a match made in heaven. And I'm just going to throw that out there. When you're talking about prospects, that will get more time. I think that benefits Jordan Walker even more. So there's no weirdness in the outfield. And Tyler O'Neill gets traded to the Mariners. Just lock that in. I want to see Alec Burleson play more. 
I think there's something there. Of course, we all think Jordan Walker. There's something there with Jordan <laughs> Walker, but it's not going to be Dylan Carlson, is what we know. Yeah, uh, there have been rumors that the Yankees have been poking around on Dylan Carlson, so. Uh, we'll see what happens there as well. If you want to hear more about prospects, you can listen to our Saturday episode of Fantasy Baseball Today in 5, or you can go onto the website, cbssports.com slash fantasy slash baseball, and you could read Scott's uh, latest prospects to stash. Let's wrap up with the call to the bullpen. Uh, very few updates here for the Braves. Rysel Iglesias allowed two base runners, but picked up his seventh save. For the Tigers, Alex Lang was unavailable, so Jason Foley picked up his fourth save. For the Orioles, Felix Bautista threw two hitless innings with three strikeouts, wound up with his fifth win, the Mountain. He is amazing. Have, have we talked enough about how he, like he's the best closer in fantasy now, right? Uh, I don't have him ranked that way, but I probably should. He's yeah, really, should. he's awesome. You I should. mean, I didn't, t- I took a closer pretty high in that like redraft second half thing. I didn't take him. And I think I was the first person to take a closer. I think I made a mistake. I think he he's right in that range. He, who, who did you, who did you take? I think I took, I either took Hader or Devin Williams. I took one of the, I just kind of went chalk and I don't yeah. know. I should have played it a little bit harder because Batista's amazing. I, I do have Hater as the number two closer. I think it was Hater. I think it was Hater that I took. He doesn't he doesn't get as much volume as Bautista. And the, the trade rumors make him a little bit more scary too. And like Bautista's like eighteen K per nine. I mean Hater's still great as far as that goes, but yeah. Yeah. No. I, I got Bautista number one. Remember that time when Felix Bautista had a shoulder thing in the spring training and <laughs> didn't really matter. He is by far my most drafted relief pitcher. I, I didn't it didn't matter to me. I, I just kept drafting him. So I'm happy I did it for the Astros. Ryan Presley struck out one for his 22nd save. Let's wrap up with to stream or not to stream. And we'll start with Friday. And who were the names? I said yesterday, I think it was Seth Lugo at the Tigers. Uh, Clark Schmidt versus the Royals. And I think we threw out Alec Marsh at the Yankees, but it's a little scary. <laughs> I prefer Reese Olsen against the Padres to Alec Marsh. Okay. I, I think I prefer him to Clark Schmidt, too. I kind of like Cutter Crawford. I'm going to just throw this out there. He's been pretty good as of late. Maybe it's a little bit of scarier matchup against uh, the Mets. I, uh, yeah, I'm looking they here stink. in his last two. Yeah, I guess he hasn't given up more than three in his last three starts, but uh, just throwing that back out there. The Mets, by the way, are 15th in Welba against right-handed pitching, so they're, you know, middle of the pack, but he has no. pitched pretty well. That is Cutter Crawford. On Saturday, who do we got here? Anybody interesting? Wow, nope. this is a this is a bad list of pitchers. <laughs> <laughs> Nobody interesting. Move not on. one. Not yes. one. There's literally not uh, one I'd be like, oh yeah, that guy. Matt Manning. I mean Michaelis at the Cubs. Nope. It's it's a bit of a random number generator, but when it hits, he gives you six uh, he gives you six or seven strong innings. Or and six or seven earned runs. Yeah. It, no, I mean I I hear you, but like what do, you, what do you expect from a streamer pitcher, honestly? That's a good point, yeah. Uh, I would not do it, but I guess the three that I'll throw out there, Michaelis at the Cubs, Josiah Gray versus the Giants, Matt Manning versus the Padres, but again, not much confidence in those. On Sunday, anything better here? Not really. Up and down the list. Brian uh, Wu, could you do the bounce? Toronto, could you do a bounce back with Wu in Toronto? McKenzie Gore versus the Giants, maybe? I could, yeah. Yeah, those two are Who's jumping my out to me. The group? Why, why are you guys saying Ooh. his name like that? It's weird. Woo. What? Woo. Yeah, Brian. Woo. Woo. <laughs> 
Come on, Scott. Woo! I was waiting I for Scott. I to do it without my voice cracking. <laughs> I was waiting for Scott Woo! to get in on the woos. Uh, all right, so we've got Brian Wu versus the uh, Blue Jays uh, and maybe a Mackenzie Gore versus the Giants. But yeah, Sunday is tough because I think a lot of the aces are on the mound. So I was looking up and down and yeah, there's not really much going there. We, does next week, does, sorry, does next okay. week signal the like, oh my gosh, everything's going to fall apart because the trades and trade deadline and like you can't trust any of the weekend starting, just kind of throwing that out. Is that next week? or do you even throw that into this week where this is going to start to be a dicey situation? Uh, It wouldn't surprise me if some people get moved this weekend, but I think for sure next weekend we'll probably see some action. Next next weekend, it's not going to be a fun week. It's going to be a fun (laughs) weekend, but it's not going to be a fun weekend (laughs) if you catch my drift. We are going to wrap there for Scott and the Welsh. I am Frank. Thanks as always for tuning in to Fantasy Baseball today. Please make sure to follow and leave a five-star rating on Apple or Spotify. We'll be back again next week. Bye-bye. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones so we'll never lose touch with civilization and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.